Today is March 8th, 2014. This is episode 90. This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Cryptocurrency is a new field of study. Consult your local futurist, lawyer, broker, investment advisor, and bank before making any investment decisions for yourself. Welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin, a twice-weekly show about the ideas, people, and projects building the digital economy and the future of money. My name is Adam B. Levine, and today we're back in the flow. Ever want to change that one little annoying thing about Bitcoin without having to start your own altcoin? Jonathan Mohan caught up with Matt Corallo, an enthusiast who took his very own Bitcoin improvement proposal from ideation to integration. Now you can follow his lead for the good of the land. Then... Namecoin was a good start, but Stephanie's got a line on an active crowdfunding campaign that aims to put the privacy back in domain names with a plugin designed for your browser. We end today's show with Michael and Jeremy from freespeechme.org. But first, in the wake of Gox, everyone should know what a hot wallet is, one whose funds are easily usable, but conversely, much more easily stolen should you be targeted. Scary Bitcoin no-do-overs here reality aside, hot wallets are a necessary tool for daily use. And today, Laf and Lamar join us to kick off episode 90 with their FIVA wallet. Incidentally, if you'd like to send any tips via the FIVA CoinD system, simply direct donations to username LTB. On a related note, we're nearing the launch of LTB Coin. If you want to learn more and be part of the pre-launch community distribution, you can get involved over at LTBcoin.com. Enjoy the show! Lamar Wilson and Leif Taylor are founders of Love Will LLC and the Cycle of Goodness Cooperative out of Lexington, Kentucky. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today on Let's Talk Bitcoin. Hey, what's going on, Adam? Yeah, thanks for inviting us. Absolutely. You guys have a couple of projects, but the one that we're here to talk about today is a wallet application that has some kind of unique features. Can you tell me a little bit about FIVA? We thought about when we made FIVA, we thought about having a dedicated hot wallet. We are users of Coinbase and we realized that when you use Coinbase's wallet, you tend to have all of your Bitcoins there or you have them offline on a piece of paper somewhere. And it's not really easy to get to them. And you don't want to be walking around with all of your Bitcoin if you use them, if you use Coinbase and keep all of them there. So we thought, OK, we need a hot wallet that is your go to kind of like a debit card of the Bitcoin space. So we were trying to formulate this hot wallet that was really, really easy for my mom to use or my grandmother to use or whoever and make it really easy for them to get into the game and be able to use something on a daily basis instead of like using your whole entire like Coinbase wallet for everything. What's different about a hot wallet from a not hot wallet? What are the other options? <laughs> if, if you're specifying so, this is a hot wallet. This is a hot wallet. So what we were envisioning is that you don't keep a lot of Bitcoin in there ever. We're going to make it to where you can quickly get your Bitcoin out of there and put it into cold storage. Just say you get paid on the street or something. Say you trade with someone on the street and you don't want to keep all of them in that wallet. We're trying to keep the risk down as far as holding a lot of Bitcoin in that wallet. So it becomes more of a transactional wallet than it does a storage wallet. So that's what we would consider a hot wallet. It's more for just everyday, all the time transactions, which is what most people use their phone wallets for. We just we are just coming out and saying this is your dedicated hot wallet. Yeah, think of it as checking as opposed to a savings account. This is kind of a solution you're creating for yourself and for people who you know who aren't as uh, technically savvy, maybe, who are using things like Coinbase, which is a, a fairly secure web solution that should be fairly resistant to any sort of tampering. I'm wondering, there are options out in desktop wallet clients. Do you guys use any of those or do you find them to be useful at all? 
Yeah, I, and I use the standard client, the Bitcoin QT client. I use that. I've used, um, what's it, Mycelium. I've used that. I've tried, a, I've tried a lot of them. The thing is, is that I think the learning curve on those are a little steep for my mom. And so that's what we thought about when we were making it. We wanted to make it more of a consumer application, more about just loading it and being able to send quickly. The big part of those as well is that you still have to wrestle with those huge Bitcoin addresses. And I mean, I gave my mom some Bitcoin for Christmas and (laughs) the Bitcoin address is something that, you know, it doesn't feel like it's great for her to to deal with and have to mess with and maybe copy and paste and all of that. So we came up with what we call coin IDs to try to make that easier as well. So let's talk about coin IDs for a second, because this is an idea that we've, I think, seen before. It's kind of like a DNS system, dynamic name system for Bitcoin addresses, where instead of having to remember that long alphanumeric capitals count, you know, uh, string, instead, you just have to remember something that's human readable and on the back end that gets attached to your Bitcoin address. Is that what you're doing here? Yeah, that's correct. Um, We thought about it. We were thinking about early Hotmail, Gmail, those type of things that made... uh, Gmail wasn't that early, but Hotmail, Yahoo, those things that made uh, it easier for people to use email. So we were thinking if even within just our application, if we had these coin IDs to allow people to send Bitcoin to those coin IDs instead of an address, we kind of eliminate people having to have the address. Of course, right now we have to have the address because if you want to load a lot of the wallets that people already use have QR code scanners. And they only take addresses. But hopefully moving forward, the more people we get on, we can go ahead and open that up and allow more people to make coin IDs. If I am not using your wallet and you are using the wallet, can I still send to your name through that system? Or would I need to install the client, load the FIVA wallet software onto mine in order to access that? Right now, like I was saying, it's just like kind of being in uh, in AOL or something like that. You almost have to have our wallet. But we're going to open that up later on. We're just testing it to see what people see if people like it. And because it's a hot wallet, it doesn't really bother anyone to just have a quick wallet. Like Let's Talk Bitcoin could have a wallet that you guys just download. And that's the one that people who have the FIFA wallet can quickly send you coins to. Hopefully that becomes a lot easier for people. So it makes it easier for you to just say, and if you have the FIFA wallet, send to Let's Talk Bitcoin on the FIVA wallet tips so they don't have to come to your site and figure out whether I mean, figure out what the addresses are on those things. Right. No, absolutely. And that has been a huge problem for, you know, not just for Let's Talk Bitcoin, but uh, with Bitcoin addresses and non-visual formats in general. And even with video, it's still hard because most of the time the, you know, the uh, code on the video isn't selectable or anything. You just have to like write it down real quick or pause it or something like that. So there hasn't really been outside of QR codes, a good way to do this. And even with QR codes, you don't really know that it's going to the right person. You just know that it's going to whatever that QR code is telling it to go to. Talking about this coin ID service for a second. So with the coin ID thing, you said that, you know, it's kind of a walled garden at the moment, you know, just like the early AOL was when you were on AOL in the beginning, you didn't, you know, interface with other different walled gardens. It, that happened kind of at a later point. And I agree with you. I think that we're not really there yet. So there, there is room for these kind of closed and experimental ecosystems where you're trying to figure this stuff out. Are there any centralization issues through this mechanism that, that you've created for the names? There are some centralization issues, but the thing is, if you have our wallet and you trust us anyway, it's kind of like AOL. I mean, it's like getting the emails. The coin ID doesn't stop you from using your standard address. It doesn't stop you at all because in the wallet, you can still load to the address or to a QR code the same way you always know. It doesn't stop you from being able to use a regular address. It just adds a little piece of uh, convenience for people who don't want to deal with that. So it's a value add. And again, it sounds like you have a bigger plan here with what you're doing with these things. Yep. Yep. Yeah, okay. We do. We, 
we want to make it decentralized later on. We're just trying to see if people want it first. Right. It's kind of the whole, I hate using lean startup, but yeah, like the lean startup method of just, let's see if people want it, see if it makes it easier for people to use. Even within our testing, within the people that we've given the wallet to, we tend to not use addresses at all. We just type in like Leif or type in Lamar and then send in Bitcoin that way quickly. So for people who uh, who are interested in trying this out right now, or like, let's say, you know, we want to set up LTB as our donation address. Is the wallet available? Can we start using this now? So here's the thing. We have Love Wheel LLC, which is a, a company. And then we have a cycle of goodness cooperative that will own a piece of Love Wheel LLC. And that's the other part of this whole thing. Like the Fever Hot Wallet is just the first application of Love Will. It's basically Love Will works for the cycle of goodness. So when you come to the site, you can buy a membership to the cycle of goodness cooperative. And with that membership, you get to basically personalize your coin ID. And you also get access to all of the applications that Love Will creates. And with that, what happens is Love Will creates the applications for the cycle of goodness. And then the cycle of goodness goes out and markets Love Will's applications. So what happens is you get this cycle where Love Will is creating applications. The cycle of goodness is bringing in the marketing. So what happens is those people who are in the cycle of goodness grow larger and larger and larger, which allows people to have, which allows the cycle of goodness to have what we call ad space, which is what, you know, guys in media like yourself understand. So the more people we have in the cycle of goodness in that network, the more advertising space we have for advertisers. And then most of that, what we're going to do is most of that ad revenue will go directly back to the cycle of goodness. So let's say if a Overstock or a Tiger Direct wants to advertise inside of the cycle of goodness, they'll come to Love Will, we'll place the ad, and then we'll give most of the money back to the people in the cycle of goodness. And if everybody knows how a cooperative works, everybody who's in the cooperative gets a piece of that ad revenue. That sounds interesting, and it sounds pretty equitable, and it also sounds a little bit complicated. Um, how did you come <laughs> to this as a business model? How, how did that arise? Well, there's a philosophy uh, philosophy behind it basically came from, number one, the fact that we always think about this whole 99 versus the one percent and how a lot of times the 99 were just like we cry a lot because I'm not in the one percent. We talk about the the uh, inequality. And this is like giving a, giving the 99 percent a chance to add to the equality or bring the gap a little bit closer so we came to it. We we're like, OK, how can we do this? Because, number one, in, in the same country where they allow the poorest people to be advertised the lottery, which is awful. Right. That in that same country, in this in this very country, we can't advertise small businesses or early stage startups to those same poor people to allow them to get in early. And I think that is unjust. Like, I just really do think that um, that if you're not an accredited investor, that's the only way you can get a piece of a company. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to me, that's that's completely unjust. So we, we said, OK, how can we do this? If we give back through a cooperative, what we can do is allow the people in the cooperative to benefit from all of the same early stage benefits and valuation that a, cor- a corporation would get or a, a company would get in the early stages. So we just, it was a, it was a whole, that's why we have the name Love Will, because it's just the whole thing of us being able to give back to the people that helped us get to where we are. And we're going to have a Chrome extension as well uh, for, and that'll for the most part be free. And if you have a, if you're part of the, the membership, uh, the COG membership, then you can log in with the Chrome wallet as well and use your fee, uh, your, your ID uh, related to that. Yeah. The Chrome extension, you won't, you don't have to pay for, but you also don't get a, 
clear coin ID. So if you use the Chrome extension, you'll get a um, suffix on the end, like .php. So it'll be like Adam.php, and that'll be the Chrome extension. So you can go ahead and use it. I mean, our Chrome extension, it allows us to pay quickly. I don't know if you've seen the videos for that yet, but it allows you to pay quickly on sites like yours. Like if you wanted to leave tips on Coinbase and all of that, it finds the addresses on the page and, and fills the wallet. So it makes it real easy to roll around the internet. It's kind of like with CryptoKit as well. So... Let's talk about that for a second. The wallet space has been a problem for years. This is this is really not a new problem. And yet, you guys and CryptoKit and there are a couple of others who are all sort of attacking these various usability problems. And it seems to all be happening right now. As someone who's kind of in the trenches on this, where do you think we're going to be as an ecosystem in six months or a year? Well, I think that with adding things like the CryptoKit, which I, I mean, I like the CryptoKit a lot. I think adding things like that in our wallet, of course, it allows people to uh, quickly transact. I'm not saying that's the only thing that Bitcoin should be used for, but I think if we want to gain a lot of new people, like my mom, like I said, if we want to gain a lot of these people out here who are not necessarily early adopters of technology, we have to make it extremely easy for them to come on to the system. That's another thing. Like right now, I'm not sure if there's any wallets that basically allow you to fill up when you get the wallet, but because you're getting the membership, to the Cycle of Goodness Cooperative, what Love Will's going to do is once you pay the $10 for early membership, we're going to give you half of that back in Bitcoin into your wallet. So you'll have Bitcoin as soon as you start. That sounds really interesting to me. You said this is going to be out next week. Will this be available? Will I be able to have? Yeah, we'll get you one quick. We're working on all of that to make sure the memberships and the licenses and all of that go back and forth. But once we get that, we'll send it to you first to make sure you can uh, secure your coin ID. Yeah, it'll yeah. Be, but it'll be that's it. But other than that, I mean, we have everything going and we were going to secure you all one anyway. I mean, you guys have been uh, very, very good for me as far as my education of it. That's another thing. We educate. We go around the state talking to people about it. Yeah. And we're just going to build more and more apps for the cycle of goodness. Right now, what you can do is you can go to fever.com and register, put your email in. And when we get the cooperative site up and running, we will send you an email so that you can join early and, and secure your coin ID. Also, the Chrome extension is out right now. If you go to the Chrome store, you can go there and find the Fever Wallet, Fever Hot Wallet Chrome extension and use it immediately without having to buy a membership. It's free, but you don't get that uh, wonderful custom coin ID. You, you'll have to add .pa be onto the end of it, but you can get it right now. And that's uh, P-H-E-E-V-A.com, right? Yep. P-H-E-E-V-A.com. It's fever. Um, I got a fever and, and I can't let it go. <laughs> our, our, um, uh, what's his name? Christopher Walken. So it's fever. Fever, fever, fever. <laughs> Lamar Wilson and Leif Taylor, founders of Love Will LLC and Cycle of Goodness Cooperative. Thanks very much for your time. Man, thank you very much, Adam. This is Chris Joseph bringing you news on Next, the first true second-generation cryptocurrency for March 8th, 2014. It's been a busy week of new releases for Next. Wesley H.'s new web-based interface for the Next software has been included in the software distribution, and a new client, Next Freerider, has been released. Several other Next clients, Nexus, Next Solaris, and Offspring have also released new versions this week. Next is now also available for trade on Cryptsy, and in addition to that, it is supported by CoinReporting.com, Bitcoin Wisdom, 
and altcoinsmarket.info. Finally, now that Next is fully open source, we're looking to expand the Next development team. If you're a strong Java coder, have testing experience, or have a deep love of cryptographic algorithms, swing by the forums and let us know. For more general information on Next, head to nextcrypto.org or mynext.org. And stay tuned for more news on Next in the next Let's Talk Bitcoin broadcast. So I'm here with Matt Corello at the uh, Bitcoin Miami conference, and you have the great distinction of being one of the chosen few who actually got a BIP passed in Bitcoin. (laughs) So a a BIP, for those who don't know, is essentially a Bitcoin improvement proposal. Yeah. And essentially it's the way in which programming changes to Bitcoin. Essentially the changes to Bitcoin itself are made. Not just Bitcoin. I mean, anything in the space of Bitcoin, whether it's directly in the protocol, which means Bitcoin D changes, or something much higher level. So just kind of in random wallets, maybe this is how they should do things, or this is a way to do things. So can you explain uh, can be, a little more about what a BIP is then? Yeah, so I mean, the, the process is modeled after the Python improvement proposals, which are, which are a bit more technical, and those are generally fairly focused on specific things to change to the language, whereas Bitcoin's a bit more general. A lot of the BIPs are specific changes to the language, things like pay to script hash, which is a change to the scripting language in Bitcoin. Some of them are kind of in the middle, which is something that I did, which was the Bitcoin URA spec. So that's the Bitcoin links that where you put an address and a link and then it opens Bitcoin. And then there's some things that are way more away from the protocol, which is like wallet things where, say, your wallet, how your wallet should store keys, how your wallet should manage transactions which is far removed from the low-level Bitcoin protocol and more into the implementation of what other people are doing. I just wanted, for my own edification, to understand how the heck changes in Bitcoin occur. Because, you know, we, we, we talk about centralization in Bitcoin. You know, we, we had that whole scare with Ghash and, you know, all the other mining operations that come out there. You know, oh, my God, they're getting a, yeah, a point to which yeah. they can affect the consensus. Yeah. And then when it comes to, I think, the most important thing when it comes to decentralizing Bitcoin, which is, who can implement code changes into what we call Bitcoin, I don't feel like there's enough decentralization in it. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to know, like, no, lift the veil. I, I agree. Like, there should be as much decentralization as possible there. But yeah, at the end of the day, it takes time. It takes people to volunteer their time to look at these things and review them and make good, useful comments and then decide when maybe it's ready to move forward on things. And at the end of the day, there's a lot of people in Bitcoin and a lot of people doing really interesting things which are taking up all their time so they right. don't necessarily have time to join a mailing list that has way too many posts to read them all. So how many people are on the mailing list? When we're talking about how consensus is derived, it's derived by the voices in the mailing list. Yeah, I mean, it's derived by the voices of anyone who's going to end up implementing the BIPs, which, because they're usually proposed on the mailing list by people, most of the client developers who are going to be implementing this are on the mailing list. At the end of the day, it becomes the people on the mailing list form the consensus around the BIPs, which are then implemented. So can you explain the two BIPs that you were able to get through? Like, what were they yeah, about? Yeah, so I, I haven't done a BIP in a while, mostly because I haven't worked on Bitcoin as much recently. But I did the Bitcoin URI spec, which means, uh, at the time, Luke had a proposal which had a lot of details that were kind of over the top and not necessarily worth implementing uh, that I thought and a lot of people agreed. So I redid his BIP and suggested that it's basically simple, just Bitcoin colon address question mark amount equals whatever. 
So a fairly simple proposal, which then got implemented. And now if you click on a Bitcoin link, it magically opens your client and it says, hey, do you want to send money to wherever? And that was kind of pushed through because it was seen as a great idea and there wasn't too much discussion because it was kind of fairly simple. So if I join the mailing list, I can have a voice in what's oh, going absolutely. on with Bitcoin. Absolutely. And you know, we encourage anyone who wants to have a voice to join the mailing list, anyone who's willing to spend the time to write well-reasoned arguments as to why they agree or disagree with something. So where would I go in order to join the, the Bitcoin Improvement Proposal mailing list? So most of the discussion happens just on the general Bitcoin development mailing list. Uh, that means Google Bitcoin development mailing list on SourceForge. I don't know the URL offhand because it's long and no one in the it's... No one in the past five years has made a tiny URL for it. No, of course it. not. No, <laughs> no it's, not, it's way too hard, right? Yeah, yeah of course. Tiny URL yeah. slash BIP improvements proposals. Someone, someone listening should do that and put it in the comments somewhere and post it everywhere. <laughs> Maybe we should put it on the mailing list and get consensus there on it. There we go. We should talk have a about... BIP about the tiny URL for mailing list URL. I think that's really important and should totally take up everyone's time. You know yeah. what Congress started talking about baseball, I thought that was a perfect use of their Oh, time. absolutely. No, no question. Especially with the huge amount of development resources that Bitcoin has today. <laughs> so if anyone wants to take on that as their crucible in the BIP forums, <laughs> please, please do that. Please do it. <laughs> there's one thing to be transparent and open, and there's mm -hmm. another to be inclusive and accessible. And I feel like the BIP forums are transparent, but that they're, they're not getting the word out. They're not, they're not proselytizing people to join them or making it easier, making the onboarding process easier yeah, for people to come I on mean, board. Most of the developers, most of the people who are working on these things have very limited time right. and are working on 10 other projects and five projects in Bitcoin and probably have some Bitcoin startup or something. So there's not much time to do that. And at the same time, there's some kind of perverse incentive that... And the more people we have, the longer these things take to get pushed through because everyone always has an opinion and you have to read all the opinions and eventually decide whether or not there's a consensus formed and make all the changes. So We encourage everyone who wants to write good opinions to come join, but I don't think there's really ever going to be some kind of outreach to get more... Right. And I guess my problem with that, and you know, Andreas Antonopoulos, who's a on Let's Talk Bitcoin, always talks about the other six and a half billion. And mm -hmm. now if we're trying to make Bitcoin be the preeminent global yeah. apolitical currency, yeah. what we're really talking about is the other six and a half billion. Yeah. And when we're deriving consensus from what hardcore cryptographers are doing on a mailing list, which are probably trending towards one type of space, there's kind of this unspoken cultural bias that just gets formed in what Bitcoin is, just because I mean, they don't have the same background. Yes and no. I mean, the development mailing list has gone in the past maybe six months, has grown a lot, and it's grown out of just developers. Although it is still very primarily developers, there's a lot of BIPs and general Bitcoin improvement stuff is very generally self-serving in the sense that if someone has an idea for how to get a bunch of people in South Sudan into Bitcoin that requires some minor change, they're going to go write a BIP for it and submit it and say, I have this idea and I think this is what's required to make it happen and they're going to make it happen. Which is something that's great about the Bitcoin community is there's so many people who have so many great ideas and are working so hard to make things happen. And I think it's open in the sense that anyone can submit and thus the people who have good ideas and who need a BIP to make something happen will do it. So how would I determine if I need a BIP to make something happen? Is that just, I just put it out there, or...? There are guidelines for what defines a BIP, what kind of category it should be in. There's a few categories. And as to whether or not you need a BIP for something, generally the answer is you don't need one, except unless you want every wallet to include it or you want a major protocol change. 
But Unless it's you're trying to pass an amendment and you really don't need to yeah. try to modify the Constitution. Yeah, you don't necessarily need one, but it is also a very good idea to do one if you're looking at, say, how should my wallet encrypt keys, or there's, there's a recent one about how to encrypt keys for wallets. If you're trying to figure out a way to do that and you want other wallets to do it the same way so that things are interoperable, a bit process is a good way to go through that and say, look, let's get some comments, let's get everyone together thinking about this problem and figure out how to do this the best way. So if I wanted to get involved on a BIP, what, what would I do right now? I would go to the, the, I would just Google Bitcoin BIPs and I would submit one. What, what, what would be that process? Is so there someone I contact? Or? The, the BIPs are now on GitHub. They were living on the wiki forever, but they're now there's a, there's a BIPs GitHub that should be github.com slash bitcoin slash BIPs, I believe. There, there you go. Um, you got, yeah, got a that, URL. That, that one's not bad. That only took five and a half years. Yeah, yeah, you know. A lot of discussion has moved there as well, but there's also always a lot of discussion, good discussion on the development mailing list, so the Bitcoin development mailing list. Uh, is a good place to go to discuss BIPs and other things in right. Bitcoin. Um, and I think the thing to mention is that BIPs aren't just software. It's not just code. Oh, no. Most of the BIPs, in terms of change to just Bitcoin code stuff, a lot of the BIPs aren't that, especially kind of proposals for how Bitcoin things should happen, right. how wallets should function, how... Bitcoin should work in right. terms of UI. And, and it could be as meta as you'd like it to be. So if there's some evil, evil human being out there who doesn't like the color orange, and they really think that they could make that case. <laughs> Ultimately, if you think no, nothing in Bitcoin should ever use the color orange, you can make a bit for it. It'll probably get rejected and kind of laughed away pretty quickly. But... Hey, if you want to try, go for it. Right, go right. For it. We try to be as open as possible. Just get involved. I mean, right. hey, if you think you can help, if you are, have the time to think critically about things in Bitcoin. Well, you, how you they just lost be like done. two-thirds of the internet. Well, okay, I mean, yeah, the yeah. critical thinking part alone. I don't know. Critical I mean, thinking is hard. Time is also hard. If you do, for some strange reason, fall into these categories and want to get involved, absolutely. So I actually have a, a BIP, you know, my own little agenda, mm -hmm. which is as it relates to the language of Bitcoin. Yeah. And I think it was re it's really silly that four things or three things are, all have the word Bitcoin associated with it. Yeah. The, you no, know, there's no question. Like, in the zitgeist, it is the cryptocurrency is mm -hmm. field is called Bitcoin. Yeah. The Bitcoin blockchain is called Bitcoin. Of course. And the currency is called Bitcoin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Perfect so when, sense. When yeah. you explain it to a layman, they're like, what? I, I just, you have, you have oh, to yeah. explain. This, this, is, this is the Bitcoin I'm talking about now, and then this is the Bitcoin I'm talking oh, about yeah. now. And then this is the, uh, the duplication of naming in Bitcoin is hilarious. You have the Coinbase, which is a transaction, and then you have a company called Coinbase. And then you have Bitcoin, which refers to three or four different things. And then you have blockchain.info, which and you have blockchain created info, the blockchain, which apparently. apparently runs the blockchain. Yeah. Actually, there's a funny story about that. Uh, a paper by a very famous researcher, one of his first Bitcoin papers, I uh, won't name names, was referred to the blockchain as an HTML dump that he was analyzing because it was an HTML thing and was analyzing the blockchain via HTML by a very famous cryptographer. <laughs> So Just there's a lot, of, a lot of confusion. There, there's a lot of confusion. Well, it's like there. when oh, that, that RSA dude was like, yeah, Satoshi Nakamoto totally invested into uh, uh, Dread Pirate oh, Roberts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he just didn't do any analysis whatsoever. He nah, was like, yeah, this what, is totally what true. was it, like a month later? Yeah. A few yeah. weeks later, someone was like, nah, that was me. I don't know if I would have admitted that if I were him. Yeah. There was some longer story to it I don't quite remember. But, but anyway. you know, this, this discussion of language and this problem with Bitcoin and language Definitely. and M-bits and N-bits and U-bits and whatever the heck yeah, we're going to be yeah, like, yeah. I really feel like this needs to be discussed and driven through consensus in the BIP format. How would I go about doing that? Go on the BIP's 
the GitHub BIPs site, uh, look at some of the existing BIPs. There's BIP1 is the format for BIPs and how to format them and how to submit them and all this stuff. And it's generally just write up something for the mailing list, propose it on the mailing list, get some discussion, and then write it formally as a BIP and get it submitted to the GitHub after you have a lot of discussion and people agree kind of this is how it should function. Right. Uh, and you'll generate a lot of discussion and it'll be months of work, but you'll get there. <laughs> okay. You'll get there. All right. Well, I look forward to uh, taking that cross on and seeing if I can uh, make it work. Hey, if you want to improve Bitcoin, that's, that's a good way to do it. Right. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, absolutely. CryptoKit is the world's first Chrome browser Bitcoin wallet. It's the easiest, fastest Bitcoin wallet payment system. With a simple one-click install, it takes just seconds to get your wallet set up. And because CryptoKit finds the address and payment for you, there's no more fussing around or tab switching. CryptoKit is more than just a wallet. It comes with a preloaded PGP-encrypted social network, news feeds from Reddit and Google, and up-to-date charts from exchanges. Finally, CryptoKit directory allows you to make two-click payments with any of the BitPay merchants. Once you install CryptoKit, you won't need anything else. For more information or to download CryptoKit, visit CryptoKit.com. The BitGive Foundation is a nonprofit charitable giving organization leveraging the power of the Bitcoin community to improve public health and the environment worldwide. Help us demonstrate the significant impact of Bitcoin in addressing these critical issues on a global scale. Support international giving in Bitcoin. Please visit our website at www.bitgivefoundation.org. That's www.bitgivefoundation.org. This is Stephanie Murphy for Let's Talk Bitcoin. I'm here today talking with Michael W. Dean and Jeremy Rand. They are two people behind the project called Free Speech Me. Free Speech Me is something that I think is really going to change a lot. It's got a lot of potential here. I'll let them explain what it is. But first of all, gentlemen, welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thanks. 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 So tell me, what is Free Speech Me? What is the elevator pitch? I'll give the the exciting, this is going to change the world one. And then Jeremy can tell you the technical reasons of why it'll actually change the world because everybody always says, my thing will change the world. First of all, there are several people who did the work behind this that Jeremy's standing on the shoulders of. He's connected with the Namecoin team. Namecoin is a decentralized cryptocurrency, kind of like Bitcoin. It's probably the only currency that's not a threat to Bitcoin. And people who are heavily invested in Bitcoin should know this. It's not a competition. It complements Bitcoin because it's barely a currency. The thing that would change the world and what people should be working at the most is commerce sites located anywhere that take Bitcoin only and run on Namecoin. They have their DNS served on Namecoin because they can't be shut down and, and hacked, taken away by governments nearly as easily as .com or .whatever. So for anybody who's totally unfamiliar with this, Namecoin is a spinoff of Bitcoin. It's an altcoin. And its main function is really not as a currency. It's as a distributed domain name system or DNS system. And until recently, 
it was difficult and unsecure to surf dot bit domains. It's really easy to set them up, but it was hard to surf them and and not secure. Jeremy's come up with this plugin called Free Speech Me that makes it really easy. So I'm gonna let Jeremy take over from here. Namecoin offers DNS that's decentralized and is difficult to censor, hijack, or surveil. It's an advantage over standard DNS. But when Namecoin was originally set up and up until I got involved with it, there really wasn't a good, easy-to-use way that was still secure. There were some people who were changing their DNS settings on their computer to point to a DNS server that retrieved stuff from the blockchain. And that kind of defeats the security point of Namecoin's DNS because then you still have all the security issues that someone can hijack your connection. If they're on your network, they can just change what you see from that DNS server. The DNS server you configure also has the ability to hijack your requests send you whatever they want for whatever malicious purposes they want. So that's really not a secure way to use it. It defeats the point. There were some other methods of using .bit, which is the DNS system that Namecoin sets up. There were things like NM control, NMC socks, things like that. But in general, they were very difficult to set up, especially for novices. There really weren't many people using things like that. And if when I was hanging around in the Namecoin IRC chat, it was very frequent to see people in there advising, oh yeah, you just use this DNS server, everything will be fine. And people didn't seem to be aware that this was a really insecure way of using it. And so I thought, you know, Namecoin seems like a really good way of preventing censorship, improving security, improving privacy by some. Maybe we should be using it for that rather than just having it either for either security for the elite or insecurity for everyone else. You've got a, a plugin here, the Free right. Speech Me plugin, that's going to allow people to easily view .bit domains without changing their DNS settings or doing any of this complicated sounding stuff that most people probably don't know how to do. That's right. Why would somebody want to view websites that are .bit websites? What's the advantage of having dot bit domains that are not registered through a central registry like ICANN. When you make a DNS request for a website or for any internet service for that matter, standard DNS is really, really insecure. It's also not private and it can be easily censored. So when I want to access, you know, Google.com or something like that, any website, my computer has to send a request to a DNS server. Now, anyone who's on my network, as well as anyone who's on the DNS server's network and the DNS server themselves, they can see that my IP address went to google.com. And so that's a privacy issue. The DNS server or anyone between me and the DNS server can then either falsely say, oh, google.com doesn't exist, there's nothing here, or it can redirect me to a false website which might be either a phishing site of some kind, or it might be a site that just installs malware on anyone who, who views it. It's generally not a secure system. Can you tell yeah. me some examples of basically problems with the standard DNS system before? I know you've got some on your Kickstarter page, but tell the listeners about that. 
Well, Jeremy could give better examples of that. I know one is that recently Facebook was redirected to a fake Facebook site. You know, it's one thing if they re redirect it to a site that says like, you've been pwned, pwned, owned, ha ha, you're an idiot. We took your website. That's bad. Worse is if it goes to a website that works exactly like your website and you're like, oh, I'm on Facebook. Okay, well, I'll enter my password. Bam, they've got your password. Oh, I'll buy some little credits to play Angry Squirrels. Oh, bam, they've got your credit card number. So that's that's a big issue right there. Also, governments and corporations take down websites all the time without any due process. Mm -hmm. Like they say, oh, we saw the word, you know, pirate on here. And it turns out you're like, you know, Taryn Lupo writing about stories about the days of old and pirates on the high seas. And they're like... They could be like, oh, this is a piracy site and just take it. And when people go to it, it'll say this has been seized by the, you know, Department of, of a <laughs> Decency and Morality and good things that Obama <laughs> likes and George Bush likes. Oh, so they do that. This can't be done nearly as easily with that. I don't want to say can't because it's a challenge. You know, like you tell a, you tell a safe cracker, this safe cannot be cracked. Then they want to crack it. But yeah, we're very careful to say it's resistant to some of these attacks. We don't say it's completely immune from them. There is a threat model just like any other kind of security software. One of the other things that's interesting about free speech in particular is it doesn't just get DNS data from the Namecoin blockchain like most Namecoin software does. It also gets HTTPS fingerprints from the blockchain. And the reason why this is useful if I want to visit a website that uses HTTPS, there's two main components in HTTPS. One of them is the encryption, which is what most people are aware of. There's also authentication, verifying that the website you go to is the website that it should be. Mm -hmm. And HTTPS is often touted as the way to deal with hijacked DNS because people will say, oh, well, if, you, if you're redirected to a false website, then the HTTPS will, will show an error and so you'll be safe. Well, as it turns out, HTTPS is really not that hard to do bad things to, particularly if you're a large corporation or a decently sized government. And or, as an or example, a decently of that, fund or a decently funded, you know, gang of of criminals like sure. a mafia. In July 2011, actually, which is quite recently, the HTTPS certificate authority DigiNotar was compromised. There were reports that the person who did it was affiliated with the Iranian government, although we don't really know. The attackers, whoever they were, were able to retrieve false certificates from this certificate authority that allowed them to securely impersonate the CIA, MI6, Facebook, Microsoft, Skype, Twitter, WordPress, Mozilla, hundreds of other targets. And what's really scary is Diginotor didn't even notice that this had happened for over a month. The CIA, so think about that. They, you <laughs> yeah. know. Like the CIA and, and the FBI, like the people who should be un who claim they should be uncrack uh, uncrackable, you know, they they were owned basically. Mm. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, that's a so I would say that's a pretty big yeah. security breach. Yeah. And there are some uh, proposals that have been made to try to improve the HTTPS system. One of those proposals is something called perspective verification, popularized by Moxie Marlinspike, who wrote the convergence plugin for Firefox. And what that tries to do is you choose some trusted third party, and every time you visit a HTTPS website, your browser takes the certificate from them and sends it to the third party, and basically 
that third party checks the website themselves and says, hey, do I see the same thing? And if it sees something different, then it can tell you, oh, you're being attacked. Don't trust this website. The problem is what happens if that trusted third party is also attacked? If something is being attacked on the server end or or the attack is widespread enough that it affects some of those trusted third parties, then you're no better off. Whereas what Free Speech Me does is it stores the fingerprints in the name on blockchain, which is backed by proof of work since it's a blockchain. And so basically to be able to feed false data into Free Speech Me, you would have to do a 51% attack on Namecoin, which we think is probably a lot harder than doing a man-in-the-middle attack on one or two of those trusted third parties, especially if those trusted third parties are well-known or targets for, for someone who wants to attack stuff. What Jeremy's done is kind of the difference between what Linux used to be like, I mean, um, GNU slash Linux used to be like when it was mostly command line to when they got a GUI for it. And now it's almost like using Windows in ease. That's one thing. And the other thing is like, I'm approaching everybody I can about this, like all kinds of people, like tech people, liberty people, cryptocurrency people. And some people are getting it. There's some first adopters jumping on it. And some people have given money to our Indiegogo campaign. And it's great. And yesterday, a mind-blowing thing happened. A total stranger came out of the woods and said, this is going to change the world. I've got some Bitcoin. I want to buy ads for you, radio ads on Free Talk Live. And this guy worked it out at Free Talk Live. He bought 50, five, zero, 50 days of ads for Free Speech Me on wow. Free Talk Live. They're reasonable, but that's not cheap. That's I heard your ad tonight and I was wondering yeah. how you got that. That's, that's a cool yeah. story. And he paid for it, you know, 50 days on the radio show and on the podcast. So there's people like that. But then there's also people like, I'm not going to name any names, but I called one of the biggest tech blogs in the world, called him on the phone. I know him. I've known him. I've worked with them. They've been like paid me as editors before back in the day at, at book publishing stuff and called him up and told him about, they were like, Oh, I don't know. That sounds interesting, but I have to go put up these pictures of squirrels in the snow with the new iPhone. And I'm like, you guys used to be cutting edge, man. What happened? And then like, I'm trying to call this other, I won't say any name, but it's a radio show that's huge. It's Liberty oriented. And it's like, I know people at it and it's something they would love and their listeners would love. And like, they're like, it's like trying to try to get the Pope to talk to a peasant, man. So really what this really, really needs is people to go check out freespeechme.org and look at it and realize that this is what's going to save the internet. And without this, your internet in five years, the way things are going is going to be President Hillary's Facebook page is all you're going to be able to get to or President Chris Christie's Facebook page. Like that's all you're going to be able to view on the internet if everyone doesn't start adopting dot bit namecoin DNS and using free speech me. And what Jeremy's planning on doing, you can go to the Indiegogo site or to freespeechme.org. He has a list of like, I don't know, 30 or 40 improvements. We're not saying we have this idea, give us money and we'll make this thing. We're saying we have the thing, we have a beta, it works today. You can set up a dot bit website for 10 cents and get your, your viewers to, to share this thing and they will be able to build it and help with it and look at it. And Jeremy has plans to improve this to the point where like, it is going to become how the internet works. It's not just, oh, we have a cool plugin. It's like, this could be the underlying foundation of like internet 4.0. So Jeremy, go ahead and tell what some of those improvements are. Obviously, one of the first things we want to do is make it a little bit cleaner looking in terms of just the user interface. 
right now, for example, if you're on Windows, you'll see a couple of terminal windows pop up when we launch the Namecoin software from Firefox. And obviously, that's not user-friendly. It will scare some people. We want to fix that, and that's pretty easy. But yeah, there's lots of just simple user interface stuff like that, which we want to improve. There's also uh, security-related things we want to improve. For example, right now, if you have an incomplete blockchain in Namecoin, Free Speech Me will use whatever data you have up to that point, which, A, it means lots of websites won't work, but more importantly for me, at least from a security standpoint, whoever used to control a domain may have retain some level of control after they sell it to someone else while you're still updating the blockchain. And so that's kind of dangerous. I want to, I want to interject two quick things right there. One is that when you install free speech, me, you have to wait five hours or so for the blockchain to download. It doesn't work until that happens. We've been getting tons of emails from people who are so excited to install it. They don't read that. And they're (laughs) like, I've had it in for 10 minutes. It's not working. So you got to wait five hours. The other thing is, Currently, it won't play well with the Namecoin wallet. They won't hurt each other, but you can't use one while the other's open. Where Jeremy's going to fix that. It right. plays well with other wallets, with Bitcoin, with Litecoin. I tried it with Phoenix Coin. I'm afraid to even admit I have a Phoenix Coin wallet, but I got some <laughs> as a joke. So let it download the five hours, and then it'll do it automatically in the background. And also, don't use it while running your Namecoin wallet. Wait a minute. This yeah. is only for Firefox right now, but it works in Windows and Linux and maybe Mac. Is that right? We've gotten some reports that it does not work on Mac. Okay. That doesn't surprise me that much because it hasn't been tested on Mac. And I think some of the code from Convergence, which is what Free Speech Me is based on, has not been tested on Mac either. So that doesn't surprise me a lot. Obviously, we'd like to make it work on Mac, and if we can't do that ourselves, we'll happily contract that out to someone who does Mac, Firefox extension development. Right, like and that. that's why people yeah. should contribute to your Indiegogo campaign, yeah. right? Jer- Jeremy's <laughs> yes. a full-time college student, computer sciences at the University of Oklahoma, so he's doing all of this around a more than full-time school load, although summer's coming up, so uh, <laughs> eventually. Yeah, but this is great because, you know, you've got here a working plugin that will enable people to yeah. um, easily view .bit domains. Is, you've also um, got some marketing behind it and you've got a, a campaign to let people know about it. And I think this is a great combination because not only is it a killer app, but it's also how to translate that to the not quite so nerdy among us out there <laughs> that may not know how to use it, but they do know how to right. download a plugin and then you can possibly save the internet from that. Some other things we want to do are improvements for privacy. One of the things I didn't mention yet is one other feature Free Speech Me has, which is almost entirely new, is a .bit domain, which is what Namecoin uses uh, for its DNS. A .bit domain can point to either a Tor hidden service or an I2P service, which are anonymously hosted websites. And we think this is really important because if you have a website which someone wants to take out, basically, then even though they can't seize your DNS, well, they can just you know shut down the server and then your website goes down anyway. But if you host it anonymously using Tor or I2P, we're going to add Freenet as well in the future. You can have your .bit domain point to that 
And that basically gives you anonymously hosted websites that have full DNS. The thing is, since Namecoin is blockchain-based, it has anonymity issues. So just like Bitcoin is not really anonymous, pseudonymous, Namecoin is also pseudonymous. And so we would like to make some improvements so that either people who are browsing websites using Free Speech Me or people who are hosting .bit domains using Tor or I2P so that they can have a little bit more anonymity rather than just pseudonymity. And some of that we can work on. Some of that might take uh, collaborations with, with other people. But again, anything that we can't do, if we get enough money through Indiegogo, we will happily contract that out. There's a guy named John Gilmore, who's a computer scientist, who said something that's been quoted a lot. And it was, the net interprets censorship as damage and routes around it. That's absolutely true. But the weak point in that, the weak chain in that is DNS controlled through things like ICANN, which I call, it stands for something long and silly and computer related and, you know, scientific, one of them scientific, one of them book learning <laughs> things. But, uh, you know, I say it stands for I can take your website because the government controls me and they have similar things in other countries and pretty much any any dot whatever if it's not dot bit and it's not through the blockchain pretty much any other domain name your domain can be taken by a government agency or by a big corporation demanding a government do it with like a letter i mean they can write a letter yeah. a lawyer a lawyer can send an email and some department of something can write any three letter agency can write to ICANN and they'll take it down and there's no due process they've stolen your property and, you they know, should call it, it I can has your website. <laughs> I can has your website. Yeah. 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 So, so um, what I, I understand and please, please go ahead if you have more. I was just going to say we're one of the things we're doing to promote this. We have a, we have a three minute video we made. It's up on YouTube. It's linked at uh, freespeechme.org. Um, I'm getting people to do language translations of it, to do translate it text. And then also the same person or a different person read it and do a decent recording of it. And I'm going to make different language versions of this video because I really think we can't have a U.S. centric view with a program like this. It has to be worldwide. So, so far, we've got people working on that right now. I've, I say that my job is I'm the free speech me cat herder. That's my official job explanation. And I did a lot today of just going back and forth, people answering their question. What does this mean? What does this mean? And getting people to work on uh, translations in French, German, Greek, Farsi, you know, for Iran, Portuguese, Serbo-Croatian, Arabic, Turkish, Japanese, Spanish, and Catalan or Catal, I don't know how it's pronounced, but it's a it's a version of Spanish or it's a variety of Spanish derivation that's actually kind of like a separatist language. So I think that's there's only like seven million native speakers in the world, but I'm like, oh, it's it's people who are rebels. Yeah, we wanted in that. And the guy who did the Spanish could do it too. So we need translators in any other language, but in particular, we're trying to get it in Korean, Russian, Ukrainian, Italian, and Chinese. So Wow. If anyone speaks those languages, drop us a line, go to freespeechme.org, click on uh, meet the team or contact our email addresses at both places. We can't pay a lot for it right now because we haven't made a lot yet, but we'll pay one name coin for translating it and another name coin for, for recording it. And, you know, I'll also give you a little bit of uh, 
of tech help in setting up uh, free speech me or, or, or especially a dot bit domain. That's another thing we need is people to set up dot bit versions of their dot uh, com or whatever, and give it out to their users. And uh, also set up if you want, this is kind of cool. I actually set up a couple of dot bit only domains. And one is a, uh, it's a kitty cat picture site called dot bit kitty picks dot bit. <laughs> if you have a, uh, if you have That's... free speech me. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, the kitty cats drive the dot com internet and I figure they really should also drive the dot bit internet. That's how you know it's made it right. Yep. What is the process for registering a dot bit domain and what do you do after you register a dot bit domain? How do you host it and how do you set it all up? First, you need to obtain some name coins, which is a currency just like Bitcoin. You can obtain it at an exchange. Some people mine it if they have mining hardware. You could probably sell a product for name coin if you really wanted to, since it's technically a currency, although most people wouldn't do that. Once you've obtained some name coins, you need the name coin wallet software. And how much name coin do you need? To register one domain requires destroying one name set, so 0.01 name coins. And then you also have to pay around another half of a name cent as a transaction fee. So, so just to give people an idea, right now the price of one name coin is about around $4 or about 6 millibits. So we're talking about 50 cents to register a domain. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's a little bit less than that. Yeah, less it's, than it's, that, it's yeah. cheap. It's cheap, yeah. So once you've done that and, you, and you've entered either the IP address or... DNS name server address or whatever. And you can also enter an HTTPS fingerprint at this point in case you want to use HTTPS, which is actually secured by the blockchain. Um, and once you do that, uh, the Namecoin QT client will wait for 12 blocks while that first transaction gets confirmed. And it has to wait 12 blocks so that someone else can't see that you're registering a certain domain and then take it from you by paying a higher transaction fee because that would obviously suck. So after this 12 blocks, it sends in another transaction, which confirms that, yes, this is my name and I actually want it to point to this and it points to that from that on. And after you've done that, you can either right click on the name in NamecoinQT and hit update and you can type in a new IP address or something like that. Or you can use a, a command line application if you want to script something. So if you want to automatically have it update with dynamic DNS or something. There's actually a tool that I've written which can do that for you. Um, So programmers can have lots of fun making their names automatically update based on the outside world. And you have to issue at least one update every 36,000 blocks. Otherwise, your name will expire. And that's basically so that if someone loses their keys to their wallet, eventually the domain will get released back into the world so someone else can use it or the same user can get it again with a different wallet. Right now, that's about every eight months. When I first went on a bunch of months ago to check this out and register some domain names, freedomfiends.bit had been cyber squatted. And I don't Which know if it's been Cyber Squad. Is, is your podcast, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, it's my radio show. And it had been taken. And unless somebody puts a note in the blockchain with their email address, or they point it to a site that says, 
contact me and give me $50,000 or contact me and I'll give this to you free because I'm your fan. There's no way to figure it out that I know of. But mm. I just kept checking and looking at the blockchain counting down and just waited for it to expire and grabbed it like the minute it was available. And I did the same thing for uh, <laughs> Bad Quaker, you know, Ben Stone's podcast, badquaker.com. I grabbed badquaker.bit. And mm. the really cool thing is now that we've been doing this, Jeremy and I have sort of turned into an unofficial ICANN, libertarian ICANN or free market <laughs> ICANN because all these people that have been first adopters of this have seen what Jeremy's done and are so excited about it. They're contacting us and they're saying, hey, I have Stefan Molyneux.bit. Would you like to offer it to him? And I'm like, yeah, send it to me. And I see he sends it to me and then I have it and then I contact Stefan and he doesn't get back to me, but, uh, when he does, I'll have it for him for free. <laughs> so if you have a dot bit domain, how does the hosting work? You still have to have hosting for it, right? There's a few answers to that right now. Your web server either has to have a dedicated IP address, in which case there's no other configuration you have to do, or if it's not a dedicated IP address, you're going to have to make sure that there's a virtual host set up on that server so that it knows that when it gets a request for something .bit that it points it to the same folder on the server that the .com is pointing to. Now, in the future, there's actually a proposal which I wrote, which I think will get implemented in the future, which would actually have the Free Speech Me plugin handle that conversion. So the way that would work is in the future, you can register a .bit domain in Namecoin, and you can put a note in the blockchain that basically says, I want this .bit domain to point to a .com domain that already exists, but I don't want to have to have the server know that it's .bit, that the server can think it's still .com, and free speech may able to just sort of magically change the wow. HTTP headers so that it just works. <laughs> I didn't That's know That's not that implemented one. yet, awesome. but that is planned. And Jeremy, when when Jeremy says I'm planning on implementing this uh, or, or, you know, that he's written this, it's not like some guy. He's actually, I don't, are you on the Namecoin development team technically? I know that you've done some work with that and put some things that are being implemented, right? Yeah. I don't know that there's one specific definition <laughs> of the Namecoin development team, but I am on some of the internal mailing lists. So if that counts, then yeah. Well, and you've also written some things that are probably going to be implemented in Namecoin, right? Right. Several yeah. of the specifications that have been proposed for Namecoin, which either have been or will soon be implemented, were written or co-written by me. Cool. Yeah, cool. I think you've given people a pretty good overview of what they might need to set up a .bit domain if they're somebody who makes websites or to register.bit domains and maybe give them to other people, or to install the Free Speech Me plugin. And I think we've painted a picture for people of why they might want to start using .bit domains and what the benefits might be of doing that. You've got an Indiegogo campaign going right now, and what you want, basically what you're asking for, is to raise some money to be able to improve the Free Speech Me plugin and implement some new features. And... I have to say, your t-shirts are really cool. Like if you donate to their Indiegogo campaign, <laughs> you will get a t-shirt that says, I saved the internet and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> 
Glad you like it. Glad I love it. it. I love it. I'm going to have to can, send if you. If I can, if I can, if I can briefly uh, elaborate on that. Yes. So the the funds we're raising are not just for Free Speech Me itself. Uh, we're also looking to improve other related Namecoin software. For example, right now we're bundling the Namecoin D client, which is basically the command line version of Namecoin Qt. So there's lots of software that Free Speech Me relies on. And we want to make sure that that software gets improvements where it needs it as well. So about half of the things we've listed as things we want to do are for Free Speech Me itself. The other half are for related software, which basically has the same goals, but which Free Speech Me needs that software to work and Free Speech Me benefits that software. It's kind of one ecosystem. It's hard to explain as, you know, most people think of a plugin like, well, you want to improve the plugin, but you want to improve some cryptocurrency? I don't get it. But the way I put it, is that what's good for Namecoin is good for free speech me and what's good for free speech me is good for Namecoin. And yeah. mm-hmm. I'll stress this again. This isn't just, oh, we have a plugin. Like somebody came out with a plugin a few years ago that was kind of neat. It was a Firefox add-in that had a continually updating list of blocked websites. And then you could go to the blocked websites through their DNS. But, you know, the people doing it had to maintain it. It wasn't always accurate. They actually got like a threatening letter from the government for that. We haven't gotten anything like that yet, but we'll see. But that wasn't like this. That was just a trick. This is a whole new ecosystem of how to run the Internet. It's very bold to say that, but it's true. If you're technical, go check out what Jeremy's got written down for what he wants to do and you'll get it. And if you're not, install the plugin and you'll go, man, this is neat. I get it. Yes. And go to freespeechme.org and you're going to find out not only about the plugin, but you can download it right now. It's available right now. It's not just something that they're going to build. You can also learn how to set up a .bit version of your website. They've got a tutorial there. They've got a video, which of course is being translated into different languages. And of course, they've got the Indiegogo campaign and some reasons why you might want to support this. So I really encourage everybody to go there. I think it's a really cool project and I'd love to have you guys back on to see how it develops. And I think this is going to be really big. People can find you, of course, at freespeechme.org. But Jeremy, do you have a personal way that people can get in touch with you, Twitter or anything like that, that you want to give out? I have a personal website, veclabs.net. That's V-E-C-Labs.net. And that's basically for pretty much all of the programming projects I've done over the past few years. It's not updated very often. I'll warn you of that. But if people are curious what the Free Speech Me programmer does in his spare time, uh, you can see some other stuff I've done. He builds robots. He builds robots. That is so cool. Somebody's going to scoop you up and hire you right out of college, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I think they already have. Don't you have like a robot building summer job coming up or something? I've had some uh, robotics internships in the past. I don't know about this summer. Uh, We'll see how that goes. Sweet. All right. So your website, Vec Labs, and Michael W. Dean is the host of the Freedom Fiends radio show and podcast. And people can find that at freedomfiends.bit, right? (laughs) (laughs) .bit and .com. .bit if you have the Free Speech Me plugin and .com if you don't. Yeah. And Vec Labs is also available at .bit. Although for Vec Labs is .bit, you need HTTPS because I'm like that. Okay, guys, thank you so much. This is this has been awesome. Thanks for listening to episode 90 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. 
Content for today's show was provided by Leif Taylor, Lamar Wilson, Jonathan Mohan, Matt Corallo, Stephanie Murphy, Michael W. Dean, Jeremy Rand, and Adam B. Levine. This episode was produced by Adam B. Levine with additional production by Stephanie Murphy and Jonathan Mohan. This episode was edited by Denise Levine, Matthew Zipkin, and Adam B. Levine. Music for today's episode was provided by Jared Rubens and General Fuzz. Any questions or comments? Email Adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. Have a good one, and I'll see you at ltbcoin.com.